Interviews and insights with the biggest names in Canadian baseball. This is the CBN Podcast. We are back. Welcome back to the Canadian Baseball Network Podcast. And today we're talking some Toronto Blue Jays baseball, Jackson. It's been a minute, Matt. Good to be back. It's been a busy time. And uh, yeah, we're excited to... It's been an eventful uh, start to the season for the Jays start. I mean, they're almost halfway through already. So we figured it'd be a good time here on the CBM pod to give you a little breakdown of how we see things and kind of how things have gone here a little over 40% through the season. At the time of recording, the Jays are 37 and 30. Please be aware of that. So if we say something and you think, no, that's completely outdated, just know that uh, we're doing what we can in the time period we currently are in. Well, I, I mean, if you've, been on twitter lately you know uh this, they've been eliminated from the playoffs three or four times already <laughs> according to some fans so 37 to 30 like you said right now in uh the absolute gauntlet that is the al east but we're going to kind of dive into what's been good what's been bad and what's been ugly so let's get <laughs> it started i mean i think a, i think a good place to start matt would be the rotation, I think it's always a good place to start because the rotation is just so important. And I think we've seen that really in effect. Yeah, I think, you know, we look back at the beginning of the year, you thought you had a real strong one, mm. two, three in Gosman, Manoa and Bassett. Uh, obviously need a big bounce back from Barrios and Kikuchi, which you've kind of seen. Um, but, you know, we've also seen what's happened now with Manoa, which is, you know, is completely unpredictable um so yeah the rotation's in a little bit of flux right now so it's it's going to be interesting to see how they approach it especially with the depth issues that they have yeah uh, going forward well and you look at their stats i mean starters era three 395 that's eighth best in baseball right um you know they're they're striking guys out just under 24 percent k percentage that's tied for sixth um they are you know 8.6 walk percentage that's a little high that's 19th in major league baseball and they are allowing too many home runs. Home runs per nine, 1.37, which also ranks them 19. So you, know, you look at the rotation, I think, honestly, a lot of that is bogged down by Alec Manoa and just how bad his numbers were. But at the same time, it's also pulled the other way by guys like Gosman and Bassett, who really sort of um, shouldered more of the load, especially with the struggles that Manoa has had. And I think that Manoa would be a good place to start. This was pretty unpredictable. Baseball is very volatile, as we both know. And if you're listening, you probably know that too. And if you've been watching the Jays, if you didn't already know, you're certainly finding that out. And I think that with Manoa, I mean, there's so many theories. Everyone's got a theory. Some theories are good. Some aren't. Everyone's got an opinion. There's there's a few cliches about opinions. Everyone's got one. For me, I think it's the pitch clock. I think that's been a big problem for Manoa. And the fact that he never really faced a ton of adversity in pro ball up until now. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think... That second one is you say no adversity in pro ball. No, you know, even go back to his days at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the he was the guy a lot of the time. Um, and you know, he's been in the league now a few years and, and the book's kind of out on him. I think the biggest issue is his ability his inability to find his own consistently. I mean, you can you can't compete at the big league level if you're doing that. You don't see many guys that and it, a lot of arm side misses I see, and you know, it's a lot of things that you don't think you should see out of a big league pitcher. And, but I, I'm still confident that, you know, he's going to go down to the, down to Florida and get it figured out. And I, I think he has a strong mindset, although you did see, you know, a little bit over his last few starts with the Jays, uh, him sitting in the dugout looking pretty dejected, which obviously is not unexpected given the results, but not something that you've seen from him over his first few seasons. 
Yeah, he lost some of that fire, I think, this year that he's had prior. You know, it's it's kind of hard to trash talk guys when you've got the worst ERA uh, from qualified starting pitchers in baseball, right? Um, I mean, he's rocking a 636 ERA at the time of his uh, demotion to the Florida Complex League. Um, my thing, too, I mean, you talk about the walks, just under a 15% walk percentage. Okay, It's just not sustainable in the big no. leagues. You compare that to Bassett at just under 8%. Uh, Jose Barrios at seven and a half percent. Gosman, who's been elite, just over six percent walk percentage. Fifteen percent is way too high. And it speaks to your diagnosis there, Matt. I think you're right. Just a lot of misses. Oh, getting behind in counts, as you know, Matt. You know, you you pitched yourself. It, you get behind 2-0, 3-0 to a hitter every single time. Not only does that drive your pitch count up, but it gives these hitters leverage counts. Yeah, I think you know Manoa's as most guys are, but Manoa, especially with his mindset on the mound, his presence on the mound, getting ahead is huge for him. He needs to be in the driver's seat, and when he is, he throws his pitches with even more conviction, which makes it even harder on the on the hitters. So, mm-hmm. falling behind is never good for anybody. But uh, you know, and his I thought his sliders looked a little bit off, not quite as sharp, not quite as much depth. Um, but that's that's why he went back to Florida. I don't think they wanted him to go down to AAA and pitching games. I think they wanted him to go down, get mechanically sound. They spent a ton of money on that complex down there. They have, you know, technology that I don't even know exists down there. So, you know, I think he's in the right place to get sent down. It's obviously not uh, – he's going to have to swallow his pride a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you hear the comparisons to Roy Halladay, who also went down at a similar age. You know, that was a long time ago. I don't know how – viable those comparisons are but hopefully there's a similar result yeah the roy halliday conversation is interesting right because it's the easy comparable to make but wasn't that kind of a one in a million situation you know i i like to me i i find it difficult to compare the two i also think that's unfair to manoa to compare him to a hall of famer and i think but i mean a lot of people have made that argument and i guess it makes sense i think for manoa the jays have to get this right um, that's why they sent him down to the Florida Complex League, among other things. You, first of all, you're competing this year, right? You're in the thick of a very, as you said, the, the gauntlet that is the AL East. He, he can't. Every time he went out there, he was costing your team a win. He was taxing your bullpen. That's just not winning baseball, and that's not going to work when you're in a playoff race, especially given how tight the AL is at the moment, which we'll get to in a bit. They just have to get this right. Manoa is a guy who's a big part of their future. Okay, beyond the fact that he was a high draft pick and and sort of is one of the few arms starting pitchers, starting pitcher wise that the Jays have actually developed in house in the last five to 10 years, but the pitch clock isn't going away. Right. And I, and I, my opinion is that as a non-pitcher <laughs> with the untrained eye, to me, that was a lot of the issue. He was one of the slowest workers in baseball when he came up. I think that's been a problem for him. I don't think he has time to sort of collect his thoughts and walk around. I mean, you can speak to it as someone who's obviously pitched without a pitch clock. Um, you know, the effect that that can have now where you're speeding things up and then maybe that hurts your delivery and maybe that allows you to um, miss arm side and, and those things that you were talking about. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't know if I bought that right off the beginning, but after you think about it, you know, it's definitely, it, it ups the tempo for a guy like Manoa. Obviously, yeah. I always work fast. So I always, you know, I, was, <laughs> <Here you go. laughs> I never had to worry about a pitch clock. If I, if I threw the entire game, it would have been over an hour and a half. But. <laughs> Minus any hits and runs. But, um, yeah, there might be something to that. You know, I, I think you've heard a few pitches around baseball talk about it. Personally, as a fan, I don't even notice it anymore. Um, I think this is going exactly how Major League Baseball, at least from my perspective, wants it to go. I don't know about you, but I don't even think about the pitch clock anymore. Um, I love it. I love it. I think it's been great for the game. I think it's made the game a lot easier to watch and more enjoyable to watch. 
Yeah, but I mean, you're throwing more pitches in a shorter amount of time, yes. right? That changes the way you prepare yourself. That changes the way you pitch. That may change, you know, the way you think about pitch selection. It, totally. Everything kind of plays into it when you when you throw a timer on it. Um, so that could be part of it for sure. I think the difference between Halliday and Manoa is if you go back and watch Halliday before he goes down, he completely revamped his mechanics. Yeah. Um, I don't think Manoa needs to do that. I think Manoa's problem, um, and no one asked me, but I think it's largely between the years. You start to struggle, especially young. You're facing adversity kind of for the first real time. And you're doing it on the biggest stage on a team that's competing. He's not doing this on the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> um, you know, he, th- this team needs him to be good if they have championship aspirations. And it's better they get him down there now and fix it in June than have this issue in August, September. So we'll see how it turns out. You know, and and whenever he comes back up, it'll be a big story. You know, whether that's in three weeks, three months, whatever it is, but that'll be a big story to to keep an eye on throughout the season. But you know, another big story has been Jose Barrios and sort of the turnaround he's had, and you know, he's had to really for this rotation to have the limited success it's had, despite Manoa. Right? You really have a you know, three guys in Gosman, Barrios, and Bassett that you can rely upon, right? Barrios has really turned things around. His walk percentage is low, right? That was an issue for him last year, is walking way too many guys, and then he would just get lit up, right? The hard hit percentage was crazy. He's really found a, uh, he's gone back basically to kind of what he was before last year. Now he's not all the way back, I think, and he still had, you know, like early on in the season, he had a few stinkers and stuff, as many pitchers do. But I've been very impressed impressed with Barrios, and I think Barrios is a way to spark some optimism about Manoa too, right? Because yeah. Barrios, Barrios looked lost last year. Same thing with Kikuchi, and they've both bounced back. Kikuchi less so, but Barrios especially has really turned things around, and it's been very impressive and, frankly, must need it, much needed for the Jays. Yeah, I don't think the Jays are too happy that they're dealing with this for a second year in a row, but I agree with Barrios. And I don't want to toot my own horn, but if we go back to that preview episode we had, I think I called Burrios having a, a bit of a bounce back this year. I think uh, obviously, you, did. you know, mm-hmm. that's not the, the hottest take in the world. But <laughs> um, yeah. And it's honestly watching, just kind of sitting back and watching as a spectator, it took me a little while to trust him. Even after a few good outings in a row, I, I still don't think he's back to exactly where he is. Maybe that's just me being skeptical. Uh, but yeah, if he, imagine he, he was having the year he had last year. Oh. Like this team would be 20 games out by now. Yeah, they would be in big, big trouble. They already are in a precarious position as it is um, with the lack of starter depth. Um, but how about Kevin Gosman? Kevin Gosman really has been, you know, pulling this this rotation, this pitching staff in general forward. You know, he's got 2.9 war. That's <laughs> crazy at this point in the season. Um, 33.2% K percentage, right? Um, you know, he's got a 312 ERA, a shiny 257 FIP. Right. Just you you look across the board, his metrics are fantastic. He's said all the right things. He's doing all the right things. He had a stinker over the weekend against Minnesota, but despite that, his numbers are still pristine. I mean, he said, Thank God for Barrios. Thank God for Gosman, too. I mean, he is clearly this team's ace. Yeah, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Um, him and Bassett, though, you know, Bassett had that stinker on, you know, his first yep. start in St. Louis, and he's He's been Chris Bassett, and that's exactly what we kind of expected from. But yeah, Gosman's, you know, he's he's the stopper. He's the, you know, Roy Howell, they used to end the losing streaks. That's yes. Gosman on this team. Absolutely. Um, you feel good when you're rolling him out, you know, you're in a bit of a skid. Like you said, had a bit of a stinker over the weekend, but, um, you know, that happens over the course of 32, 33 starts. So, 
Um, yeah, thank goodness for Kevin Gosman. Jays fans uh, should be uh, thanking Atkins and Shapiro for that uh, that yeah. signing. Yeah, that was a that was a slam dunk, especially choosing him over Robbie Ray that winter. Right, it's turned out pretty well. Um, you know, we look at this rotation though. The issue now it's become very apparent there's not enough depth at all. These bullpen days are nice, you know, like Richards and, and Bowden Francis, they're going to do their thing. And, and maybe Nate Pearson factors in there on those bullpen days. And it's been okay. That is very much patchwork, right? They're going to need to get somebody else, especially depending on how long Manoa is in the pitching lab in Florida four. And, you know, if, if you're going to go deep in the playoffs, even if you're going to go deep just to get into the playoffs in this division, you're going to need four guys who you can trust and then a fifth guy who at least gives you serviceable innings. And right now they just don't have that. I mean, when you look at the the rotation innings you're getting, obviously Gosman is Gosman. Bassett's been strong. You lose Manoa. There's a ton of innings gone. Kikuchi's giving you, you know, you're happy if he gives you five and gives up two, which honestly I'm happy with. As a fifth starter, especially considering what he gave last year, that gives you a chance to win. But then you roll in, you have to, you know, do a bullpen day. Yeah. Like that's a lot of innings for this bullpen to eat. And, and I don't know, that's just, I just don't think that's sustainable. And the depth in the minor leagues right now, some of their, you know, higher end guys are still lower in the minors. It's, you know, it's not coming up anytime soon. And they're going to have to make a move here, uh, I'm thinking. I think so too. You know, you look at a guy, I, I think they obviously wanted more out of guys like Hatch and Mitch White. White's a good example. So you trade Nick Frasso to the Dodgers who looks pretty good right now in that organization. Easy to say that again, it's, he's pitching in double a and a lot of great players, a lot of players have looked good in, in double a, right? So it's easy to say that, but so the lack of depth, obviously a massive issue. And so how do you build that back up? Whether it's going out to acquire starting pitching, obviously that would be the easiest way. Maybe I don't want to dumpster diving to me is kind of a tough term, but that's kind of how I would describe it. You know, maybe you look at some, Are there guys in AAA who you could sign to some minor league deals and see if they work out, you know, but how far is that going to get you? And it's kind of felt like they already did that. They tried that with Hutchison, right? Didn't exactly work out. They've tried that with a few other guys. It hasn't worked. So here's the thing. You go towards the deadline. Well, you don't have a great farm system and there's going to be a lot of competition for starting pitching as there always is at the trade deadline. And like how many teams are going to be selling starting pitching teams don't not as many teams sell anymore, right? Because of the, the expanded playoffs, and because the teams that are bad, like Oakland and Kansas City, have already sold a lot of their parts, right? I mean, I'm looking at the the 40 man right now, and you got names Hagen Danner, Bowden yep. Francis, Thomas Hatch, Hunjin Ryu, who will yep. be obviously coming back. Um, who knows how that who knows? You, you never know coming off, yep. you know, an injury like that. And Trent Thornton, who we, you know, it's not exactly, you know, reassuring you know, the, the depth or lack thereof on this team right now, especially in the pitching department, yeah. um, which makes the Manoa thing even more painful for fans. Totally. And, and yeah, I mean, you mentioned Ryu. That's, that's a good one to mention. So, I mean, preseason, they were talking about him coming back in July. Well, okay. I mean, even if he does like this Tommy John surgery, like you just said, it's very unpredictable. Who knows? He's 36. Like, I, I don't know what you're going to get out of him. Right. I really hope that the Jays aren't relying too much on Ryu coming back as like a saving grace. Same time, obviously him coming back and stepping into the rotation in August and giving you some, some big innings would be massive. Right. I just don't think you can. And I hope that you're not relying upon that. Again, you're probably going to go and have to pay a premium for a starter or two at the deadline and find a way to add some depth. It's going to, they're in a really tricky spot there. 
And yeah. they don't have they don't have this wonderful overflowing farm system like Baltimore to be able to trade from. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not. They're again, they need Minota to figure it out in a hurry. The more we talk, it, it, it's funny. The more we talk about this, the more we talk through it, the 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 grimmer it looks from the outside looking in. Uh, they're going to need Kikuchi to keep pitching well. Like what, okay. you know, what happens if there's some regression with Kikuchi and Barrios back to that? Like you're 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 already ten games out in the. AL East. That's basically over with almost. Yeah, I know I it's only so. June, but there's still, you know, what is it? Two thirds of the season left. But, you know, the way Tampa's playing, the way Baltimore's playing, you know, the Yankees are nine games over 500. Those teams aren't going to slow down. There's less games against these teams this year, less ground that you can make up. You know, it's likely going to be another wild card. I hate to do this this early in the year because I'm always the one preaching patience and it's a long season, but. You know, this, you know, Boston's in fifth and they're a game under 500. It's insane. And then you look at the AL Central and it's just, uh, I think it screams division realignment, but hey, I mean, that's a, that's a whole different can of worms to open up, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And I mean, the emergence of the Texas Rangers this year, right? Look at the start they've had that that complicates things too. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see, but so for example, Bassett starts, a freak injury happens. He gets hit with a liner or whatever, Right. What then? You know, who are you calling? It's really going to be Zach Thompson or it's going to be, I guess, uh, Thomas Hatch. I don't know. Right. Mitch White becomes a, a starter on this team, like in the rotation, as opposed to just being bullpen depth. You're really in a tough spot. God forbid Gosman take. I mean, last year, remember a liner hit Gosman in the shin. He was out for a few starts. What if that happens again? It could. Right. It's baseball. Those things happen. So they're in a really tough spot there, but they put themselves in this position. They didn't build enough up enough depth in the off season. Yeah. They really hooked their cart to Barrios or uh, Gosman, Bassett yeah. and Manoa and yeah. roll the dice on Barrios and Kikuchi. And after that, it's this, the drop off is just so steep. And that's the problem right now. So, and, and when compared again to their competitors, right? Like if I'm, if I'm a team and I'm selling a, a starting pitcher, okay. If I'm a team like uh, Kansas city or Detroit or the white Sox. the white Sox are probably the best example, right? Cause they'll probably be selling and they have a few pieces, you know, like what are they going to do with some of their big arms, right? Giolito, like what happens with him, right? If I'm them, Baltimore has a way better package to give me than the Jays. And what do I care about trying to help out Toronto? You know what I mean? And Same you know thing. how, de- and you know how desperate this Jays team will be. Yes. Right? Like you may be able to get a higher price out of the Jays because of how desperate they are in the situation that they're in. And, uh, you know, at the trade deadline, baseball teams aren't interested in doing charity for you, right? Um, so it's going to be it's gonna be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I think if you're a Jays fan, um, a little nerve-wracking too, because it's thin right now. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the bullpen now, because we've kind of gone over the rotation and some of the depth issues there, and, and obviously Manoa. But the bullpen has had some, some really bright spots, but also some glaring issues too. Um, for me, a few bright spots, how about Eric Swanson? coming in and, and turning really just showing off that he is a premier setup man. He's um, done everything asked of him. He's had the occasional blow up, but all relievers do it from time to time. He's been about as good as you could ask. That splitter is pretty much unhittable unless he absolutely hangs it in the zone and combine with the fastball with a ton of spin rate. I and mean, we talked about it on that preview show. I remember a lot about Swanson and kind of what to expect out of him. He's been as advertised and if not even more so. Yeah, I think, uh, that was a matter of a lot of fans not knowing who Eric Swanson was when they <laughs> yes. made that trade and they know who Teoscar Hernandez is obviously and what he's done here. Uh, but yeah, that's, that was a, what a pickup that was. Um, obviously I think the bullpen's not in a terrible spot to be mm-hmm. honest with you. You got Swanson, 
Um, obviously, Romano at the back end. Nate Pearson's looked fantastic for the majority of his appearances. Uh, so there's three guys there at the back that look, uh, you know, more than serviceable, I guess you could say. I think Trevor Richards has been, yeah. you know, fairly good. Um, yep. Jimmy Garcia, Jimmy Garcia has been so-so. Yep. Um, Simber hasn't been great of late. No. Um, but you know, if you can have three or four guys that you're really confident in, you know, that's not terrible. They may, they may look to upgrade, but yep. bullpens are one of those things where you can, you know, you go the scrap heap and guys figure it out and they give totally. you, you know, strong innings, especially down the stretch. So, the bullpen's not the biggest concern. Let's just put it that way. No, no not at all. And and Mesa has been really good too from the left side. I think he's been fantastic. And you're right; they've had a lot of good performances out of the bullpen. Um, and I think that a lot of the the only issues out of the bullpen have been in many cases compounded by the lack of good starting pitching or the lack of batting. Right? Like in the case where every single night they're up to one, so you're using your high leverage arms every single night. Right. Uh, that was an issue, I think, in 2021, too, where at some point Romano and a few of the guys in the pen just started to break down, started to run out of gas because they were being overused, right? Because, you know, um, the lineup wasn't coming up with enough clutch hits, not scoring enough runs, not enough power in the lineup, which has been a recurring theme this year. And the starters have oftentimes this year, especially in the case of Manoa, made it where you almost need your bullpen to give you seven innings, or six innings, or whatever it is. Well, yeah, and I'm looking at the June schedule right now. Like, look at some of these scores. They won three one, one yep. three nothing, one two one, one six four, one three two, one three two, lost three two, one seven six. You know, you're not rolling out your eighth reliever in in a lot of those games. Um, you might have to, but it's not. You know, your Romano's getting up, Swanson's getting up, Pearson's getting up. You know, so over the course of the season. You know, that can that can start to wear on guys, but I think they've done a, a serviceable, serviceable job so far. And I, again, I don't think it's the issue with this team. No, and the only downside you would probably say is just home runs, uh, one too many. I mean, again, that's kind of life in the AL East, although obviously playing less in the AL East parks this year. You know, home runs per nine, 1.33. That puts the bullpen 28th in baseball, um, as in, what, third worst. Um so that is, I guess, one, if there was one thing to sort of focus on with the bullpen, and obviously you don't want your bullpen giving up too many home runs, but you know what I mean? Like that's, that's kind yeah. of not a stat you want, but everything else has been good, right? Like the bullpen's strikeout percentage, um, 27.8, that's tied for second with Houston. Houston's got a pretty good bullpen. Their walk percentage is 8.3, that's fourth lowest, right? Their ERA is 375, that's top 10, right? So you're right, like those are the only issue that has really just been the home runs. Obviously you don't want that in a bullpen, but that stuff will also hopefully sort itself out as your bullpen gets more healthy and maybe add a little more depth. And frankly, you get a little bit of better luck too. Yeah. I think again, I, you know, Swanson's kind of been the stabilizer there in the eighth. Yeah. Romano has been, you know, Romano has been Romano. I've heard a few people say that they don't know if this can be a championship team with Romano as a closer. I don't know if I'd buy that. Obviously, I mean, the the more you build it up around them, the better you know the whole bullpen gets. But we'll see what they do at the deadline. With such a need for starting pitching, though, is there enough depth on this team to make the moves that you need to make without subtracting from the big league roster? Because I think you're going to have to to make kind of like the Swanson Teoscar deal. Yeah, you know, you're going to have to give to get to fill the holes and and build the the strengths of this team that aren't there right now. And everybody at the trade deadline is looking for bullpen help. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> right? 
Like who's not, even if you have like, even if you have a good bullpen, you're still looking to add to it. Cause you can never have enough pitching in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, so, you need, so they need a starting pitcher and bullpen help. So we'll do you know, about 16 other teams. So exactly. Yeah. And, and again, and you're competing with teams who are directly competing against you, right? Like Texas, like Houston, like the Yankees, like Baltimore, even like the angels, right? Like there's going to be a lot of teams looking for bullpen help and not a lot of teams selling a lot of bullpen help. Right. So because again, because of the playoff format and because of the Jays' lack of a farm system right now, they're in a precarious spot too. So I wouldn't see too, I wouldn't expect too many moves around the bullpen. I think, like you said, like you can retool a bullpen kind of on the fly. And I will say this front office has done a horrible job at like having a good bullpen early on in the season, but they've done a great job at figuring it out throughout the season. <laughs> it's cost them in the last couple of years and in more ways than one, but like they've shown that they can figure it out. And I think that the bullpen is actually, in many cases with this team, not needing that much the way maybe it did, let's say, last year or the year before. Yeah, I think, you know, you're not looking for a closer. Nope. You're not looking for a primary setup, man. Nope. Pearson looks when he's on, which he has been a lot, he looks like an elite closer. Yeah. Like you said, Mesa, Richards has been, yep. Richards has been, so, you know, not bad. Mm. There's somebody else I mentioned. But yeah, you're looking at, you know, your fifth, sixth guys in the bullpen. You know, that's manageable with what they have to offer um, in the, you know, in the minors. The focus is going to be on the starting pitching, like we said. And like you said, a lot of people are looking for that. Look at Texas. The Grom yeah. goes down with Tommy John. They've opened up the pocketbook over the last little while. You don't think they're going to be looking for a piece as they, you know, battle out with the Astros and the AL West. So you're not alone, uh, uh, you know, in that search, which uh, makes it interesting. And now a word from the baseball zone. Are you looking for a fun summer activity to keep your athlete active and hone their baseball skills? Keeping kids engaged all summer long can be a challenge, and it can be hard to find activities that have a lasting impact. With our full summer package of baseball clinics and camps, your child can get fit and have fun at the same time. Our experienced instructors will help them hone their skills and even pick up some new ones. We offer an unbeatable combination of physical training and a social atmosphere. With our one-of-a-kind approach, your child will gain confidence, improve their coordination, and build better throwing and hitting mechanics, all in a safe and fun environment. With our flexible scheduling, you won't have to worry about disruption to your summer plans. Sign up today and let us help your child become the all-star they've always dreamed of. Check out our website for our summer clinic and camp information at thebaseballzone.ca. And I think too, like one of the holes they might need to fill more so than a bullpen is another power bat. And that brings us to the lineup where they've had a few pleasant surprises. They've also had some real, real inconsistency. Um, I, I kind of want to start with, let's start with the positive, I guess, with the lineup, because I think we're going to get into some negative. How, I, feel like how, we've been very, I feel like we've been very negative so far. And I don't necessarily <laughs> feel that negative watching this team over the long run, but I guess yeah. we're sitting here talking about it. So, Well, I, I think too, it's just because so many of these issues are glaring, right? And like Manoa, so the bull, like zero starting depth, that's a problem, right? Too many home runs allowed for the bullpen. Well, that's a problem. But we can also look at the positives, like you said, with the bullpen and with the rotation. There's been the good and the bad. And I think as baseball fans and and media types alike, in baseball, sometimes the negative gets focused on a lot more than the positive, right? Yeah. Uh, Gosman's been amazing, but we didn't talk as much about Gosman being amazing as we did about Manoa struggling, right? Yeah. 
And that goes, you know, uh, that goes both ways. Like Simber, you know, we could talk about how bad Simber has been, sure. But we could also talk about how great Pearson's been. And I think the lineup is another good example. How about Kevin Kiermeyer? What an addition he's been. He's been doing it all. A fan favorite here, what, a couple months into the season. Yeah, I, I mean, we talk about that, you know, one year, nine million. Why not? And, you know, he's hitting 296. He's, you know, stolen five bases. He's got 839 OPS. Uh, playing great defense still. He's touch wood, been healthy. Uh, but that's worked out as about as perfect, especially with Teoscar going for Swanson. That all – and people need to realize how that all works together, obviously, right? The, you know, they go and get Kiermaier, not to replace Teoscar. It's not necessarily their thought process, I don't think. But he's filled in admirably. He looks like the Kevin Kiermaier, you know, that's been a star in this – that's been a very good player in this league. And it looks like he's rejuvenated playing in Toronto uh, on a team that's, you know, competing. He's a guy who, if he played for the Yankees during his prime, like especially in center field, right? Like the catches he makes, he's post, this is post prime Kiermaier. Yeah. And the defense he's playing is amazing. I can't, um, like he was, I just feel like baseball fans, no disrespect to the Tampa Bay Rays, were denied by sort of having maybe the best center field glove in a long, long time, being a market that, let's be honest, doesn't get a lot of uh, coverage, doesn't get a lot of attention, right? Just quietly being a, in terms of defense, a Hall of Fame caliber defense, obviously, right? And and again, if he had been making those catches at Yankee Stadium in his prime or at Fenway Park or wherever it was, you know, Wrigley Field, he would be, I think he would be in an t- entirely different stratosphere. And I'm just, I was thinking about that, watching him make all these catches, right? It's just, it's amazing what he does for the entire outfield. Like the outfield defense, that was a huge focus for them this offseason. They nailed it. Now, you know, there's other issues with the lineup and and specifically some of the guys they acquired. But Kiermaier has certainly been doing everything he possibly can. He came as advertised, right? Now, the only thing is, right, like the big knock on Kiermaier has been not necessarily his fault, but it's been health issues. You can't control that. You can't bubble wrap, guys. You know, we're, we're sitting here in June talking about it. Hopefully in August, he's not on the IL constantly and struggling to play. That was... That would be a big concern for me. So, you know, and also is Kiermaier going to hit 296 or whatever you said for the rest of the year? Probably not, but it's been an amazing story so far. And frankly, for this Jays lineup, thank goodness. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a 250 on the dot career hitter. If he even regresses to that and keeps up the defense he's playing, that was a steal at one year for $9 million, an absolute steal. Yeah. And it sounds like he really likes the city. You know, he's just, he's got such an infectious personality, the big smile, good looking guy. Uh, you know, he he did a story where he talked about, you know, riding his bike to the Rogers center through downtown, you know, just stuff like that, that I don't know if he knows or doesn't know how much like Toronto sports fans, when an American comes in and loves the city, Oh, <laughs> they will love you. Right. Yeah. And I think that whether he knows that or not, boy, he is just, He's getting himself uh, certainly some marketing gigs in this city and in this country after his career, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, another guy who's been carrying the mail, uh, maybe a little more expected, is Bo Bichette. What a start he's had. Yeah. Before we jump to Bichette, though, I also yeah. want to point out Brandon Belt. Because yeah. that was the other one-year, nine sure. or so million dollars that they had. Started mm-hmm. off slow. I, they ju- The fans just jumped on this guy. Yeah. Uh, but he's starting to turn around. 263, I think he's hitting. You know, four home runs. Another solid piece from the left side. Uh, I think he, Brandon Belt deserves a little bit of his due, especially from the way he turned it around from his early season struggles. But on Bichette, this is getting expensive for the Blue Jays um, down the road, is it not? 
Yeah. And uh, if he, like, as he continues to clean up his defense at a premium position too, which he's starting to, by the way, like he's looked, he's had his issues this year, of course, but it's been better as of late, I got to say. And it's been way better compared to his past seasons defensively. Yeah, what does that even look like? Because, I mean, you see the money that's at Trey Turner that he just signed for, Manny Machado, Xander Bogart, some of the deals that these big-time shortstop slash third basemen are getting. I mean, God, and Bichette's going to hit free agency at a younger age than they did, right? Like, it's scary to think about. And if I'm Rodgers, I'm thinking, man, like, never mind. Like, you know, people were talking about it on the season. Are you going to try to bring Chapman back? Not a chance if no, you seriously want to sign both Vladdy and Bichette long-term. I ser- I heard someone, I can't remember who it was now, so this is a bad example, but say that, do you trade Chapman mm, yeah. for a need that you have elsewhere? Because yeah. you know you're not going to resign. I, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that, uh-huh. but we talk about the lack of depth and something coming off the big league roster. That's a tough one to part with. You know, yeah. for a for a contender, but someone mentioned that, and I was, you know, it makes you pause for a second. It does, and I think if they had, like, if Espinal was hitting better, you know, if Biggio was hitting a little better, I think that that would justify more. If they had someone knocking on the door in the minors, that's another problem, right? Like this, this Orelvis Martinez is good, but he's far away, right? Yeah. Uh, Barger, you know, he was he was sort of the the poster child for the farm system throughout spring training. Well, he seems to be not quite close yet. Right. So I think if that was the case, like if Barger was looking good, I think it's Barger. I don't think it's Barger. I'm pretty sure it's Barger, but I apologize if it's the other way around. I'm going to stick with Barger for now. If, if he was knocking on the door, that would be an interesting conversation, especially if you look at Chapman's monthly splits. So his OPS in March and April was 1152 in May. It was 585. Basically cut it in half. Yeah. And in June, it's not much better. 632 so far. Okay. So again, this is as of uh, June 13th, but still like this is, this is a problem. Okay. And this is a big part of why the Jays have been in a lot of close games because the hitters in their middle of the order, whether it be belt early on in the season, not so much now, as you said, he's really turned it on and, and he's got a good amount of power from the left side and he'll draw a walk. He'll put together a good AB, but like the lack of power from three guys, at times, Chapman, Vladdy, and Varsho, right? If Varsho isn't hitting home runs, he ain't doing much at the plate. Vladdy hasn't hit a home run at home yet. I don't know what the hell's going on there. And then I just said Chapman's monthly splits. That's what happens. So, you know, Kiermaier can get on base as much as he wants. Merrifield, same thing. They can do their thing out there. They can steal bases, right? But if the big boys in the middle of the order aren't driving you in, and that's been the problem the last couple of weeks. The whole Vladdy thing, not hitting a home run at Rogers Center, that, I, I, that has to be just a one-off. I don't know how it's else crazy. to describe that. You're in a hit. Yeah, I just I don't even know what to say about that. That's just one of the stranger things that I've seen. But the Chapman splits. I knew you know you know he's not the hitter that he was in March and April. You, they, you have to know that. Yeah. Um, but he's better than what he's shown in May and June. You have to yeah. believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you, you know what? The more I look at this as we prepared for this podcast, nothing really is going into plan. No. For, for this team and they're still they're a half game out of the wild card so i guess that's the positive I yeah mean, and like all the people who like you know i guess you would have expected varsho maybe to be a you know he's coming over to a new league and, and sort of adjusting to a new team and all that maybe you'd expect him to have a, a not a great start to the season he's been okay um again he's he's hit for power a little bit but yeah vladdy no home runs at home like if there was a bet on that 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like he still wouldn't have a home run at the Rogers Center in mid June. That's crazy. He's got yeah. nine home runs all on the road this year. I I think some of it is just luck. I mean, also you look at it like he's hitting three twenty one on the road and he's hitting two thirty nine at home. Yeah. So that's also interesting too, isn't it? You know, he's striking out more at home. The walks are essentially the same. But like, is there something about just being on the road? Is there something about just you know maybe it's I don't think it's the new dimensions or anything. I don't know what the deal is with him. Part of it's probably just luck, but whatever it is, he needs to figure it out because, you know, there's just been too many a time this year where you have runner in scoring position and Vladdy can't come up clutch. Um, and that's been a, that's been a problem for them. Look, runners in scoring position, it's hitting with, <laughs> it's very much uh, luck based. And in fact, some of the best hitting teams will often be the teams that leave the most runners on throughout in scoring position because they're getting a lot of runners in scoring position. But boy, like these three guys, when they're not hitting for home runs, like especially Chapman, boy, oh boy, there's a lot of strikeouts and double plays happening with runners on. And, you know, I think that also creates a need. Like if if Chapman's going to continue to rock a 600 OPS, you can't hit him fifth every night, right? You can't hit him fourth. Vladdy, if he's not going to hit home runs at home, whatever the situation is, he hasn't been lighting the world on fire, right? His WRC plus is 123 on the season. So that's above average, but that's not a generational talent that we thought he was going to be. Yeah. And it just goes to show like, like we just talked about Bichette. I mean, we know these two guys and, and I'm looking forward are going to cost you some money, but does, is Bichette more valuable than Vladdy at this point? Certainly an interesting conversation given the position that they both play, given their age. I mean, I guess they're kind of in the same spot there. Um, I obviously, We'll see again through 64 games. Yeah. Vladdy, well, it's easy to say that, but I, I would agree though, that it's getting interesting. And if this continues, like how long will this continue? If, if Vladdy at some point, he's just going to luck into hitting home run at home, obviously, but still like his numbers on the end of, at the end of the season, if he doesn't go on a crazy two or three week hot stretch, which he very well could, of course, um, especially if he's playing on the road a little more, <laughs> it seems like that might be more likely, but is what is Vladdy? There's been a lot of that, right? Sort of like a state of the union on Vladdy over these first couple of months. Is he that generational hitter we thought he was going to be when he was 16, taking batting practice? You know, the son of a Hall of Famer, um, you know, a guy who is uh, heralded as sort of the savior. And he comes up and he, you know, again, he maybe could have won the MVP a few years ago if there wasn't a guy named Shohei Otani. He's a long way from that hitter, I got to say now, Matt. A Whoa. long way. I mean, I'm just looking at the numbers. He's hitting 283, which is very solid. That's, yeah. You know, that's not, you know, I know it's Vladdy and people expect him to hit 320 every year mm-hmm. with 40 home runs, <laughs> but he's a 284 career hitter. I know it's, I know he's only through 251 at-bats this year so far going into the night, but he's a 284 hitter, you know, through over 2,000 at-bats, over 2,100 at-bats. Yeah. So, you know, and again, uh, I mean, you will probably hear it from the analytics of a high batting average and, and whatnot, but um, – that's been hit. That's been the hitter that he's been. And, and Bichette, all that guy, all he does is hit. He's got the hit tool. Yeah. You know, if he can clean up his defense, he's he's a star. He's a star already. But yeah, I, I agree. And I think that with in the case of Bichette, like he's going to win a batting title one day for sure. If not this year, like at some point, he definitely will. Uh, maybe a couple batting titles. Um, never mind MVPs and other things. As we go here, he reminds me of uh, a hitter I saw very uh, when I was very young, Nomar. Nomar Garcia Parra. That's who he he reminds me of. There's been a couple um comparisons to him. I think he's a like better than Nomar. And Nomar was really good. 
I think he's kind of an interesting comp for for Bichette. I you, I guess you could say Xander Bogarts too. Um, those would be two kind of interesting comps. But again, like you look at the money Bogarts just got, you're talking contracts. Like it's really interesting to see. Still lots of time, right? We'll see how this plays out. It's not like the the corporation that owns the Jays is struggling financially. They can afford it. Our but... phone bills might go up, but <laughs> exactly your internet bill might. But everyone listening, would you pay an extra ten dollars a month to keep both Vladdy and Bo? There is an interesting Rogers question. should do that poll. I should do that poll. I'm gonna do that poll on Twitter. There you go. That's it's an interesting question, isn't it? And uh, I think it it also speaks to just the strange ownership setup we have with the local and all and all the people that are uh, Bell and all the other networks will definitely say yes. And then yeah, of course. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting conundrum that certainly that the Jays find themselves in. But like back to this year, you do wonder, right? So let's say Vladdy does turn it on you're right like his numbers are not bad necessarily right but just because your expectations for him are so high yeah right like he's he's supposed to be the next miguel cabrera right like he's supposed to be that guy he's supposed to be a hall of famer supposed to be like his dad exactly and and so then when that doesn't happen and imagine he's dealing with a lot of pressure you know he's got new teammates now right they traded away a couple of his close friends i'm not saying that matters i get it they're pro ball players i'm just saying like it's a, it's a tough spot for him to be in. If he's not an absolute superstar, he's disappointing people. And yeah. that's that's really difficult expectations to put on him. I, I think at some point he will really turn it on. He'll have a two-week stretch where he's just hitting everything out, yeah. right? He'll have a he'll have a stretch where he turns it on. And you just, but what you want as a Jays fan, like that'll happen. But you just, you know that that can happen more. And one thing that we've seen with him, whether it be last year and now this year, is those hot streaks, they're not as long as they were in 2021 when he was hitting everything all year, like he'll go hot for a minute and then it's just back down to hitting ground balls and striking out a bunch. Right. And then for, you know, a week, there he is. Oh, Vladdy's back. No, nope. no, he's not. Cause now he's back to uh, a crappy plate approach where he's just swinging at the first pitch. I, I always like to preach patience um, mm-hmm. and these sorts of things. I like to say, don't even look at the standings till about the all-star break. If you can stay in it up until the all-star break, then you start looking at it. Uh, you look now they're 10 games out of the East. I, it's the same as last year. The Yankees get out to that hot start. Like they, they're in a, a division where two teams, the Rays and the Yankees, played with their hair on fire for the first three months. No one was catching them. So you can't look at this team and say they all their ten games out like this is a failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be realistic about it. the Rays are forty-eight and twenty-one. I know yeah. a lot of fans figured the Jays might be forty-eight and twenty-one, but you have to be realistic. Thirty-seven and thirty. After 67 games, third of the way through the season, might have terrible math, 40%, whatever we said. Mm-hmm. That's not that bad. They're in it. They're half game out of the wild card. Uh, it's not, it's, you know, the sky isn't falling despite mm-hmm. what, you know, some may say on uh, that app with the blue bird. I think part of the reason that maybe there is that, that sort of thought that, oh no, they're going to miss the playoffs and this, that, and the other is because just because of that tough division that you just said, it's sort of, it's made it where every mistake is glaring because of how tight the margins are, right? Like, like I'm looking at the Fangraphs has like they'll project like uh, what the records are going to be at the end of the season. Okay, they've got the Jays um, at 88 wins to end the season. They've got the Yankees and Orioles both at 89. Okay, so like, just, they, yeah, and so and then and that's the thing. So if the playoffs were to, if the Fangraphs projections were to be uh, gospel, the Jays would miss the playoffs by one game. Okay, that's how tight these margins are. And I think that that's maybe one of the reasons as to why you have people harder on Vlad than maybe they should be. Or maybe 
um, you know, Manoa's problems become massive and the lack of starting depth becomes massive. Although those are really big issues, but those become bigger because you can't afford to be dropping games because everybody else around you is winning a lot. Not just the Rays, the Yankees and the Orioles, but also Houston, right? Also Texas, right? Even the Angels, right? Like the Mariners are below 500. What if yeah. they start? What if they get going? And they very well could. They got great pitching. Yeah. I mean, but you have to remember, this is the same team that took three or four from the Astros last week. Yep. And that's, that's, that's the baseball. team you're dealing with. And that's the baseball. And then they drop two to Minnesota. They have to pull one out of their yeah. rear end to win the third, right? Like, that's just the way the game is. And I people don't want to hear this, but they very well could miss the playoffs. They very well could. Like, yep. you know, if you're being realistic, do I think they will? No, but they could. It wouldn't shock me. It shouldn't shock anybody with the way this, you know, AL, especially the East and the top two, two, three teams in the West are playing. I mean, look at the Angels. There's 37 and 31. Exactly. Like you got four teams in the West that are legitimate, and you got five in the East. Now you look at the Central. I mean, <laughs> don't look yeah. at the Central, I guess, is would be the tip there. But that's, that's the thing. Like if you so then you look at that both in I mean, if, especially in the AL. You look at the West, who's selling? Just Oakland, right? Nobody else is going to be selling, right? Usually in other years, you could count on the Angels and Texas to be selling. You could count on the Tigers and, and other teams to be selling. But And maybe the Tigers will, maybe they won't. They're kind of in a weird spot. But Oakland has already sold all of their pieces for the most part, right? The Royals, what the hell are they going to do? Zach Greinke, you know? like The Twins aren't going to sell the Central. The Guardians not. aren't going to sell the Central. Certainly not. Maybe the, the White Sox. Maybe the, the White, White Sox. Sox. That's a tough market, though. That's yep. a they have high expectations in that market. If you if you paid attention to that fan base and, and yep. that media at the beginning of the season when they were, I think they were like seven and twenty one or something, like they were calling for people's heads. Kenny mm-hmm. Williams, everybody, the, the, their new manager that has been on the job now sixty games. So that's a tough market. I, I, that would be a tough sell in Chicago for them to get rid of, especially when you're only four and a half back and you're eight nine games under five hundred. Yeah, and in the NL, it's the same thing. NL East, there's four teams that are competitive. Braves, Marlins, Phillies, Mets. Unless one of them really fall out. I mean, certainly the Mets aren't going to sell. And if they do, that would be crazy. I don't think Cohen's going to do that. He'll triple down. You know, the Nationals, sure. What are you going to get from the Nationals, right? Um, You know, maybe the Cubs sell, but maybe the Cardinals, right? But are the Cardinals, you talk about a tough market, right? (sighs) St. Louis Louis is like the San Antonio Spurs equivalent, right? They're good every single year. They're a, they're a world-class program. You think the Cardinals are going to sell? I mean, I guess they might have to, but again, that's a, that's a tough, a tough if, market. No, for, and they, they can turn things around too, by the way. First to first to fifth in the central is eight and a half games. Yeah. So I mean, Pittsburgh leads four games over 500. There you go. There's another team that would normally be selling that probably won't be. This is going to be really interesting. Same thing with the West. There's four teams in the West that are good. The Diamondbacks are good. The Dodgers, Padres, Giants are all pretty good. You right? think the Padres are going to sell? <laughs> right? Probably not, right? They'll probably no. triple down too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not a buyer's market. You're not going to get that 2015 trade deadline again. You know what I mean? No. If you're the Jays, you're not going to get that miracle gift, you know, that's going to fall from the heavens in the in the form of David Price and Troy Tulowitzki. Like that's not happening between the lack of farm system, between the lack of teams that are going to be selling and between the competition. Okay. You're going to have to fill a lot of these holes internally. So you yeah. better hope that Hanjin Ryu's arm is good and is still on his body in August. You got to hope that Manoa figures it the hell out. You got to hope that Chad Green comes in and can be another high leverage. That's another guy. 
because you're not getting very many on the on the market. You between your minor league system and between Shad Green, that might be and you know internal development elsewhere. That's all you're probably going to get out of the bullpen. Maybe you pick up an arm or two from Kansas City or Colorado or whatever, but they're not moving the needle. Okay. A power bat. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's guys you can think of. There will be a a handful of power bats on the market that you can pick up, but no one's coming in and is going to save the day. The guys who are going to save the day are Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Matt Chapman, Dalton Varsho, guys who are already here. Brandon Bell needs to keep hitting. Guys need to stay healthy. Like this team is very much this team. The payroll is what top five in baseball. You know what I mean? Like it's so they're already breaking payroll records. I'm rambling here because things are maybe a little more precarious than in other years, especially uh, given the strength of the division. So there's just you're gonna have to blow teams away, a lot of mm-hmm. these teams to to get anything of substance is what it's gonna come down to. And then those few teams that are selling, you mentioned the A's, like what is there there that would pique your interest? And some of these other teams, you know, like Colorado, maybe the Giants, you know, the Cardinals and the Cubs, that's a tough one for them to sell in those markets in such a weak division this year. You know, the Nationals, like what, like you said, what's moving the needle that's currently available? Uh, Chad Green was another guy that we didn't even talk to. If, if Chad Green comes in as Chad Green, you can roll Romano, Swanson, Meza, Green, Richards, Pearson. That's pretty good. You don't, even, you don't even need to worry about the bullpen. At the end of the day, it's still about getting it done on the field. Regardless yeah. of who's in that bullpen, yeah. they have to get it done on the field. And, and those six are are more than capable of doing it. They, they just need to go do it. So one aspect of the, the last couple of weeks has been the Anthony Bass situation. Okay. So from start to finish, in my opinion, the – well, not really my opinion. That's just kind of how it is. The Toronto Blue Jays have completely – mishandled this whole situation with Anthony Bass, I think on a few levels. Okay. The the first thing that happened that where I knew this was going to be frustrating as a fan was when Anthony Bass came out and said for his apology, I'm going to make this quick, just a horrible way to start off what is supposed to be a genuine apology, making it seem like it's not genuine at all. And so from there, you know, I'm not going to go into the timeline of it all, a lot of a lot has already been written by some really smart people. Ben Nicholson Smith, Keegan Matheson, Caitlin McGrath have all writ, wrote awesome stuff on it. I would recommend checking out those three people and what they've written on it. Rob Longley too. I think what this speaks to me, you know, I, I watched Ross Atkins do his press conference talking about how Bass has achieved enlightenment in these things. And I think that it speaks to a bigger issue that Scott MacArthur actually made a really good tweet about. It's a very minor, he said, quote, the Bass debacle is a very minor example of a major societal problem regarding representation. White straight cis guy makes hateful comment about a marginalized group. Then white straight cis guys determine when situation has been appropriately dealt with. That's kind of the issue here is that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro and whoever else with the Jays making these decisions, there obviously wasn't enough representation in those rooms, in those discussions, because... This is what happens when you don't have enough representation of 2S LGBTQ plus community where, you know, you say, oh, Bass has achieved enlightenment. You know, he's really learned his lesson and, you know, he won't be a distraction moving forward. And then Bass goes to the speaks to the media and you get a very different picture of what's happened. This has been very painful, uh, I think, for a lot of fans. You know, this team has been around for over 40 years and I've seen people online. I've talked to people in person who said like, this has really changed my perspective of the organization. Um, yeah. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. And like, this is a huge black eye 
on the organization from top to bottom. Um, one thing that I noticed is like, where was Mark Shapiro during all this? You know, well, and that that's that. Well, that was part of my thing. First of all, I thought the apology was just bullshit, for yeah. lack of a better word. It sounded like a statement that somebody in comms wrote up. Yeah, like you said, I'm gonna make this quick. Like how? Like that's just that's disrespectful when you're addressing anything, let alone mm-hmm. you know what he was addressing. Yeah, but who? And that's, you know, you hear a lot of rumblings, people talking, oh, Atkins should have handled this better. But how does the whole front office dynamic work? Who Who is in the room making these decisions? It, it doesn't come down to Ross Atkins. I can almost guarantee you that. Yeah. No, it doesn't come down to John Schneider. I can guarantee you that. Who Who's all involved in this? And like you said, I, I, you know, I don't know. We're not in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard to point fingers when you don't know whose yeah. decision it is to keep them around or let them go you know is there conversations with the union like what like what all goes into a decision like this so before you guys start pointing fingers it's hard it's hard to because you don't know who to point the finger at and that's why i think if you're a fan you just look at the whole organization and you say this has just been totally mishandled and you know i think as an ally you have to we have to be like as vocal as ever right now there's a lot of hate out there right now there's a lot of hateful rhetoric out right out there right now, as um, shown through what the video that Bass. I don't want to give it fuel. You, if you're listening, you probably already know what the video was about. It was extremely hateful. Uh, it was extremely transphobic. There was just so many different ways to handle this than keeping him on the roster for what was it, ten to eleven days, and then planning to have him catch the first pitch at Pride Night, and then going back on all that and then releasing him. It was just so was messy. Yeah. And a disaster from a PR perspective. I don't know who decided it would be a good idea for him to catch the first pitch. That was just, I don't have to explain why that was an awful idea. Having someone who's clearly not actually changed their mind about any of that. Well, first of all, you don't, you don't ever change your opinion in that short amount of time Two, I did hear that that might've been someone from a pride organization in Toronto that suggested that. So I don't know. I, and again, I don't know. I yep. don't want to speak too much on that, but I had heard yep. that on the radio. Okay. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yep. Um, but again, you, I, you don't change an opinion like that. I just don't understand how we, and I don't want to go into this big long spiel about it because everyone, like you said, there's been a lot of smarter people than us right about it, but mm-hmm. I don't know how we got to this point. I really don't. Me neither. I don't know if the pandemic messed people. I, I just, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I'll just, I guess, leave it at that. And I've already shared my opinion on the apology. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some work to be done. That's, that's for sure. There's a lot of hateful rhetoric out there and it's being stoked by, um, people with horrible intentions. And, you know, I just, I saw people online. I, I, you know, people who are part of the 2S LGBTQ plus community who felt that they were no longer welcome or felt that they, they couldn't watch the Jays game and just watch the baseball game because all they would think about was, does this organization really care about me? Which is just ridiculous. Really. And I, so I just don't. The it's fact that sad. That's, yeah, it is sad, and the fact that it was allowed to go on as long as it was 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 just. You know, I I I saw people talking about how they it it brought them back to when they were younger and were excluded from things, baseball and other things, because of homophobia and hate, and it's just not. Uh, it, it just from top to bottom was a whole mess. I, I think that's about it on that. I think we, like I've said kind of all I have to say, just the lack of representation, in the Jays front office 
is alarming. And I think was shown here. And I think, you know, we have to see how it plays out in the long run. You know, what is learned from this? It's, you know, people, I'm not even talking about bass, but you know, organizations can, no one's perfect. Right. So let's see what happens in the long run. Uh, but yeah, it was certainly disappointing. And hopefully the next time this comes up, they're a lot more swift and they know like they have a lot more better way and respectful way of handling this than allowing this to drag on for as long as it did. Um, but that's about it on that. Um, you know, bass is now gone. Okay. And so now that hopefully we can move forward and get back to the baseball, but I know a lot of people will have a lot of lingering feelings and, and, um, and just disappointment in the organization, myself included. You know, I'll still watch the games. We'll still talk about it, of course. But the way that they handled it was a joke. So that's that on yep. the bass situation. Be kind to each other, people. Like, I yes, don't, and I'm, don't I hate. I don't know why that's such a hard no concept these days, but no kidding. apparently it is. Hate has no place in society. Hate has no place in sports. Thank you very much. And if you disagree, you can change the podcast then. But I think that's about it then on the whole team. I think where we are, Matt, I, I would say that uh, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. Like there's been a lot that just hasn't gone to plan or maybe that we weren't expecting both ways, you know, surprises positively, right? With Barrios and with Kiermaier, right? And even a guy like Tim Meza and Nate Pearson. And the other way with guys like Chapman and his wild splits. Varsho maybe not living up to expectations with the bat, although still playing good defense. Obviously Manoa. It's just, it's been a really strange season from all different angles, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think half game out of the wild card. That's, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to talk about hockey, but you look at the Florida Panthers. They squeak in and now they're in the cup final. So get in. That's all That's all you can really ask for at this point, especially with the the two, three game series, best of three series in the wild card. It's not a one game anymore. Just get in. And uh, I think this team is going to do that. But I know we'll be back on about halfway through the season to do this all over again. So we'll see where they're at that point. Our trade deadline recap will be very interesting. I promise you that. And if not, we will make it interesting. Um, one thing, though, look at the Philadelphia Phillies last year. Look at the Atlanta Braves the year before that, right? Just get in. Just get a ticket to the dance, and you never know. The Padres beat the Dodgers last year. Like, the you wa- just never know. Look at Washington when they won the World Series. What, exactly. they 19 and 39 or something? It feels like now more than ever. You just got to get in and find a way. Yes, sometimes it is just the best team, whether it's the Dodgers or maybe it'll be the Rays or whatever. But the playoffs in general in all sports are a crapshoot. The playoffs in baseball are a complete crapshoot. But at the very least, Matt, it's going to be exciting to see how things play out. Just a half game back despite all those things. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of room for growth here with this team. So we thank you for listening to this, what is going to be quite a long, I think, Blue Jays recap. Uh, our Blue Jays discussion here on the CBM pod. We'll see you next time. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out Canadian Baseball Network for extensive and comprehensive coverage of the latest in Canadian baseball. And the Baseball Zone, Canada's leading instructional baseball academy and training home to thousands of MLB, pro, college, and youth baseball players.